With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome board Giants fans to episode... 108 of Talk is Cheaper, New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch, Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They were at MetLife Stadium on Sunday to watch the Giants drop to 1-6, and six, a loss to the Seattle Seahawks. Also, we're at Jerry Reese's press conference, kind of a state of the Giants, state of Jerry Reese press conference on Tuesday. We're doing this podcast on a Wednesday, a reaction more towards Jerry Reese and where the Giants are at at 1-6. and six than the team and the game on Sunday. James, we'll start with you. Uh, Jerry started, and I think he wanted to try to take ownership of where the Giants are at right now, but there was a lot that evolved or devolved from there. What was your first takeaway yesterday uh, as you sat there on Tuesday and listened to Jerry Reese uh, talk to you guys about where this Giants team is? It seems to me that if you read between the lines, Jerry Reese thinks the coaching staff screwed this up. That was my initial takeaway. Interesting, because Jerry Reese is the guy that put this team together. But why, why do you mean that? What do you mean by that? I just felt that, yes, he comes out and he, he says, oh, he says, you know, I take ownership. I built the roster. But then it was 20 minutes of basically implying here are these excuses why it's really not my fault. And when he not only did he it's not like he it, the, the, the hype comments, the suggestion that the Giants like got big heads and bought into the hype and all the nice things that were written about them and, and the Super Bowl predictions. Okay, it's not like he said that as a one-off. He kept coming back to that. He kept on going into detail. I mean, the quote that stands out to me was when he said, we didn't strain as much as you need to strain to win games in the National Football League. Now, yeah, Jerry picked the players, but how the hell is that Jerry Reese's fault? I mean, that's, I mean how, how, how is it his fault if the guys don't show up to play? And then you start thinking, okay – this team, you know, yeah, they lost a couple close games on field goals to, to the Eagles and the Bucks, and they've got injuries. They no-showed two primetime performances to start the year. That dropped them to 0-2, and, and then when you get to 0-2, crazy things happen like 61-yard field goals with a gun in Philly. So I don't know how Jerry Reese could come out there and say those things and not think that we're all going to interpret it as him saying, look, Ben McAdoo didn't have this team ready to play this year. He didn't have the guys in the right mindset to play. And, and I mean – that's that's the takeaway I got was that he, he, he may have said it was all on all of us, but his words did not back that up. His words basically said, I built this roster. You guys thought it was good enough to win. Go talk to the coach. Yeah, which is not a, a good way to continue a season here where things have just gone off the rails. 
Dan, you wrote about some of the things that Jerry Reese had to say, including don't count us out, which was delusional. There are about six or seven other delusional things. Um, let's start with left for dead. He used that term, which is kind of the old school, you know, everyone's counting us out, left for dead. And, and don't count us out. But the Giants, Dan, are done. I mean, this season objectively is finished. Jerry Reese tried to go down that road that they're not done yet. <laughs> yeah, I can't. That's actually, I mean, I, I wrote about that, but I can't fault him too much because what's he going to go up there and say, listen, the next nine games are totally meaningless. Our season's done. I mean, he's got to have to at least try to put on that brave face. So that was actually, uh, you know, one of the comments that I didn't have much of a problem with. I think uh, the next point I made in that article, and it was kind of the overriding theme, um, and, and James kind of touched on it was this ridiculous excuse that the reason they're one and six is because they bought into the hype in the preseason. I mean, that is the one that, like you, you know, I, fans have, like you said, maybe two reactions, either shaking their head or, or want to put their head through a wall. I think that's the type of comment makes you want to put your head through a wall. I mean, they're not, they're not one and six because they bought into some preseason press clippings. I mean, that's just, but it's amazing because it was, it was brilliant. I really think that Jerry, uh, who's not known as like the greatest public speaker, maybe he, he, you know, talk to a politician or something because he was coming up with some great spins where he's got people chasing their tails writing about, Oh, did they buy the hype to the, the hype does not matter. The team is one and six because Jerry did not shore up the offensive line and make the proper moves to put the best possible roster on the field. And then he did still give Ben a team that's better than one and six. And McAdoo has totally botched the coaching job. Those are the reasons the team is one and six. It's not because the players aren't as hungry. I mean, that's, that's such a nebulous thing to throw out. And again, you get people, media and fans, some chasing their tails on that, where they think smarter people step back and say, listen, that's just a diversion. He's just throwing that out there because it's a lot easier to blame it on the hype, which again, is just so nebulous than to actually confront the real, issues with the, the roster and with the coaching staff and with the schemes and on and on those are the tough things to address so by just making your whole point this nonsense about buying into hype and buying into hunger i mean that's that's crazy talk i mean this team made the playoffs for the first time in five years and got beat by 25 points how much hype could they possibly have been believing in sure we all did we on the outside did think this was a good team so i can't sit here and have you know re revisionist history we all saw this coming absolutely did not but if you're inside those walls i mean listen i know mackie talks about putting the fifth trophy in the case but if you were really in those meeting rooms in in july and august thinking hey if we could just show up and win you just got beat by 25 points in the biggest game of the season last year there's no reason anyone was buying into that so again i think that was just a, a, a nonsensical thing he threw out but i think it was also kind of crafty because it made people you know see the ball and, and bat that around rather than actually addressing the, the much deeper issues um so yeah that's the bigger problem i had i mean the, the stuff about hey we're not done yet again what else are you going to say um the, the more uh, like the deeper issues uh, with this team, it's not about them buying into hype. It's, it's on the the front office and the coaching staff. Uh, they're the ones who have you know put the team in this position. Obviously, the players uh, bear a role in that, no no doubt about it. But again, it's just not because they aren't as hungry as last year. That that's silly. The first Another thing I thought of, James, before you go you go into your uh, comment there. The first thing I thought of when I heard Jerry say that was. The Giants are not one and six because Jonathan Casillas, uh, you know, acknowledged to us during our live podcast with them that, you know, they could make a deep run this year or they were thinking big things. Like, I, I just think that it's just a ridiculous statement and it really throws the players, I think, in that instance under the bus, that they were thinking too big and they weren't focused on the day to day, which is exactly the opposite, usually, of the way NFL teams and players try to go about their business, James. Yeah, I mean, if. It, it was it was silly. I mean, it's like oh, it, this scrappy upstart bunch got you know seduced by the 
the bright lights and the praise of the New York. I mean, come on. But I thought it kind of served his 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 goal, which look, I think Jerry Reese in a way kind of won the press conference. He and this is gonna sound crazy, I think a lot of fans, but look, he didn't go out there and, and have one of those, you know, contentious viral moments like he's had in the past. He he comes at the top and says, I take ownership, one in six, it's my fault. And I've been surprised that so many people have kind of run with that. I mean, yeah, he said those words, and then he spent 20 minutes basically not taking ownership. So I think that what he said in the, the 20 minutes outweighs what he said in the first minute. But that's just me. He, I thought he kind of – he did a pretty good job of, without saying it, like coming out and saying it, kind of drawing a line between, you know, between him and McAdoo. Like, hey, you know, this hype stuff, this stuff, it's on him. And I thought he kind of – he got through this. And look – the Giants have nine more games to go in a season that is completely lost and going nowhere. Jerry Reese is now back in the bunker for nine weeks. So he's going to resurface. You know, he's going to come back out at the end of the year. He's either going to have his job, and at which point he doesn't care. I mean, he's got his job. You know, he, or, or if the Giants do let him go, I mean, he's never going to have to answer a question from any one of us again. So I thought that he got what he needed to do out of that press conference. He, he, he rope-a-dope, Dan's right. He, he was a politician. He, he threw some things out when he was confronted with some of the realities of how ridiculous what he was saying was. He just kind of sidestepped that and kept rolling. You know, no big moments, no embarrassing, you know, YouTube clips. No one's going to do an exhaustive analysis of his draft picks off of this one. And now he's going to go back into hiding and not talk to us. And then McAdoo is going to have to be the public voice for what's going to be a really, really difficult final two months where, guess what? I am counting them out. They're not going anywhere. I don't even know if they're going to win another game. They might not, and if they win another one or another two, it's it's not going to move the needle on, on what is going to be a bad season this year. Dan, you wrote about Jerry's comment and what he said when asked directly about Ben McAdoo's job, and it, it was very diplomatic. He, you know, he did, he was asked if Ben McAdoo has the team mentally ready, and the answer wasn't yes. What did you think about how he answered that question? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, d- diplomatic's the way I would go because, yeah, I mean, he didn't say yes. I mean, but he kind of can't say yes. I mean, they're one of the six. I mean, there has to be some some line you can't cross that everything is just hunky-dory. Uh, but he said it's on all of us. But I, I go back to sort of what James was talking about, that at the end of the day, it, it's not a general manager's job to make sure the 53 men in that locker room and those meeting rooms are ready to play. He gets the team, you know, to go back to the old Bill Parcells line. He buys the groceries, and then Ben McAdoo has to cook the dinner. Ben McAdoo is the one with these guys every single day. He's the one who sets the message every morning in the meeting. So if the team isn't ready to play, I mean, Jerry can sit there and say it's on all of us, but I'm sorry, it is on Ben McAdoo, and anyone with any sort of intelligence who's been around professional sports knows that. So again, I think that's why it was kind of masterful Jerry kind of spoke out of both sides of his mouth he certainly never directly threw McAdoo under the bus because when he had the opportunity like the question you're referring to he said oh no it's on everybody but again if you just read between the lines and you don't need 2020 vision to do so it's on the coach I mean that's whose job it is to get the players ready to play there's no I mean again it's as much as you want to take shots at John Mara or Chris Mara or Jerry Reese or Mark Ross it's the coach's job at the end of the day to get the team ready to play on Sunday and so if you're saying the biggest problem is this team mentally wasn't there, wasn't ready, then that's on the coach. And the other thing is, too, it'd be one thing if you say, OK, they weren't ready in week one. <laughs> it's continued. I mean, they started out with five straight losses, so it never got corrected. So if, if you if you realize right out of the gate, like obviously week one was a wake up call. This team was not uh, you know, performing the way that they expected. 
they McAdoo wasn't able to correct it because I mean Reese was asked, well, have you talked to Ben about kind of noticing that? And he gave again one of those kind of catch-all answers, like, well, we talk about everything. But I mean, it can't be something that just dawned on him during the the self-scouting of the bye week if if he really believes in this hype nonsense. So again. If that's the public stance Jerry is going to take, who knows what he's saying, you know, behind closed doors. If that's the public stance he's going to take, there's no other way to interpret it than he's pointing the finger at the coach because, again, that's whose responsibility it is to get the team ready to play. They no-showed back-to-back primetime performances to begin this season. And they fell to 0-2. And look, you can sit here and say, okay, well, you know, the crazy field goal against the Eagles and the crazy game against the Bucks and the injuries, we've had some bad luck. That's true. But – you can't use those as excuses because you were 0-2 to begin with because you came out flat as a pancake and turned in two pathetic performances on national television against your biggest rival in the division and a team that was a playoff team last year at home with the friggin' Super Bowl team being honored at halftime. I mean, that's why the Giants laid the foundation for this whole mess by just not even showing up the first two weeks. Then you're 0-2. You go to Philly. The whole season's on the line. And you know what? Yeah, bad things happen. Kids kick 61-yard field goals, and your season's over. So, I mean, I think when Jerry says that, we weren't ready, we didn't have the hunger, I think fans going to immediately go, well, wait a minute. They, they didn't look very damn hungry against the Cowboys, and, and they didn't look hungry against the Lions, and that kind of started this thing. And when he said he doesn't think the team strained as much as you need to strain to win a National Football League, that's a pretty damning indictment of the team. And who gets them ready to play, as Dan said? The coach, the coaching staff. So yeah, he could say they're all in this together, but let's, let's be real here. There, there's a, the Giants have a clear separation of powers here, and that one falls on the coaching staff. But, but I don't want to fall too much into the trap here because we're almost doing what I what I said Jerry wants us to do, talking about the, the hype stuff. It's nonsense. The problems, and we, I know we're going to get into the show. It, I think let's just start with the, the offensive line because that was that was the biggest one. Uh, that was it was you know a number one. That was the priority going into the off season. We everyone said you need to upgrade this offensive line. It was kind of the Achilles heel all last year. For him to come back with the same starting five on offensive lineman was indefensible. And then he got up there yesterday and still tried to defend it, even though it still is a weakness seven weeks into the season. He certainly would have loved to get up there uh, with the number one rushing attack in the league and say, hey, I'm vindicated. Look, Bobby Hart developed into a Pro Bowl or Eric Flowers uh, Pro Bowl. Clearly, that has not happened. So, uh, again, I think those are the issues we need to focus on, the hype stuff, the, the hunger stuff, whatever, nonsense. Uh, the, the real stuff that Jerry has to answer for is is the roster. And again, the offensive line was the, the glaring weakness. And, and, you know, that's where he got defensive yesterday because, again, that's the stuff he can't he can't kind of deflect towards McAdoo. Um, hey, they're trying to get young, Dan. You hit a spot for me there because the young thing is so ridiculous. It's so ludicrous. I mean, you have a 36 year old quarterback. You said he's on the back nine. He's got two to three years left. Everything is geared towards winning the Super Bowl this year. I mean, this might might have been I mean, obviously the windows closed on this year anyways. But coming into the year, this looked like it might have been the one last shot, the one last hoorah. You bring in Brandon Marshall, who's a 33 year old skill position player. So that's different than O-lineman who had shown signs of decline last season, but you won't extend for a 35-year-old left tackle and Andrew Whitworth, who's you know, maybe the, the best left tackle in the NFL over the past few years, never misses games, has 
gone into LA and now the Rams went from the worst offense to the best offense overnight. It's not all because of Andrew Whitworth, but when you read stuff out in LA, a lot of the credit is going to him, which, which really speaks to, you know, what an impact he could have had here. Um, and again, you know, James and I have both covered it. He wasn't the only option. So maybe you don't want to go 35 years old. Um, there was other players who were in their late twenties, might've cost you a little bit more money. Maybe you have to reprioritize, but to act like there was no options or, or maybe just dra- draft Ryan Ramchick, who's starting at, well, you know, both tackle spots for the saints and, and, you know, protecting an old quarterback there and doing a great job to start the year. So um, that's the stuff that I think we need to focus on. Not the, not the hype and not the silly, uh, you know, mental stuff. I mean, the, the, there's, there's real tangible problems with the roster and with the coaching uh, that are why this team's one and six. And the stubbornness is, is where it gets me as you guys describe it. I mean, I, I think the, the root of the, I mean, the giants have a lot of problems, but I feel like the root of it is Reese being wrong and then stubborn and refusing to change what he was wrong about. Eric Flowers is a bad pick. Eric Flowers hasn't developed. And he stuck with Eric Flowers instead of going out and getting an answer with or any of the names you guys are mentioning there. And then yesterday, James, I mean, yeah, he says Eric Flowers is comparable to a lot of the left tackles around the National Football League, which I guess in the fact that he plays left tackle, if that's what he's talking about, sure. Um, and then he, he kind of couched his the guy's struggles by saying, well, other guys have struggled that got picked high. Well, what does that, that mean? It, that means he stinks. James, yeah, what did you make of, he of the Flowers? He basically was like, stuff? hey, like, our guy stinks just as much as other guys. So, I mean, you know. I mean, Stop look, worrying about it. Everyone stinks. No big deal. <laughs> this is what I do not get. It, I almost feel like Cherry Reese is, is hell-bent to let Eric Flowers determine his future as Giants GM, and it makes no sense. I mean, I go – look, uh, this, real quick. I go back to the summer, okay? Dan and I were at practice every day. Eric Flowers, you could tell that his technique was not better. You could tell that he was still getting beaten like a drum by OV and JPP. Uh, you know, basically a lot in practice. You could still tell that he was having trouble. Even guys like Kerry Wynn and Romeo Aquara. You could still tell that the body language wasn't there. You watch the preseason games, and you could still say he basically was grabbing everything, heads, you know, holding everything. And yet the Giants, the Giants basically kept on pushing out this narrative through you know the their, the team employed media members and and, and the more you know that this like yeah, he's going to be better. And you were kind of sitting there saying to yourself, why are they being so adamant about this? Because I don't think it's going to end up playing out like this. And it really didn't because then week two, he gets, a, he gets demolished by Ziggy Ansah on Monday Night Football. And now I feel like Reese, I mean, when you come in and say, hey, I don't know if he's going to be our long-term left tackle. The guys played 2,500 snaps <laughs> in 39 games. All starts for you. The guy basically, the minute Will Beatty got hurt his rookie year, they made him the left tackle. He has never had any threat of, to his job since. He has never played anywhere else. So to sit here and say, ah, we don't know yet. I mean, he's a number nine overall pick. He's played basically three seasons, all these snaps, and you don't know? I mean, you do know then. He's not the answer. It's almost like they're in denial, and I just don't like – Eric Flowers is not going to wake up and be an all-pro left tackle. And it's, it's just like why sit around and just – because at some point, I really think if they do not accept reality with Eric Flowers, something is going to happen. Like, you know, someone's going to get fired. Eli is going to get hurt. I mean – and, and it's like, why did we not see this coming? So, yeah, I just don't – I mean, look, I don't think Flowers is going to be a very good player at all. But maybe you have a hope to salvage it if you move him to right tackle or move him to guard. But to keep sitting here and saying, oh, we don't know. We're still, we're still looking for fact-finding mission here. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. He's not the answer. 
And what Sean O'Hara said a couple weeks ago is 100% right. Eric Flowers has not given up many sacks of late. So people are saying he's got this improving surge. He's playing better. The bar has been set so low that, oh, the game didn't get wrecked. So that's great. I mean, you, you, the Giants, if you watch the game, they really don't run to the guy anymore. And he was supposed to be this great run blocker because he's so out of sorts. I mean, he basically lines up in the backfield, you know, way wide of the left guard. So I just think it's just I don't know what the Giants are kidding themselves. I mean, it's, I don't see how this is going to get better. We, they've been doing this for three years now. I mean, at some point, you're, you're right, Joe. You just got to accept reality and move on. And it just seems like they keep on making this problem worse by just not admitting what everyone else in the NFL and the world can see. Well, I, I mean, I think the reason they won't admit it, though, is it's not that hard to figure out. It's because he's a number nine pick. I and mean, you, said, you said that that those are the picks that get GMs fired. You know, Bobby Hart's thinking at right tackle. Everyone just says, what do you expect? You know, you move Justin Pugh out there and you move on. This guy was a number nine pick. It's not going to be easy for Jerry Reese to admit that mistake because, again, those are the picks that get GMs fired. You miss on a top 10 pick. Everyone points that now clearly everyone's pointing to this <laughs> as it is, but if they can kind of just keep selling the narrative, oh, he worked hard last offseason. No, oh, like, I mean, the, the only thing they haven't has like an injury. They can say, oh, well, if he wasn't injured, he would have developed. I mean, there's they look for every excuse they can, you know, they've looked under every rock the last three years. Uh, they're, they're obviously running out of them. Uh, but I think that's the bottom line. That's why it's been so hard for them to distance themselves from him because he was a top 10 pick and, and giving up on one of those guys that hurts, <laughs> that hurts bad. And, and they don't want to do that. I mean, I will say like, uh, kind of your, on your O'Hara point, and he hasn't wrecked a game. I mean, has he improved, though, is, is the, the the real question that Jerry's trying to say. I mean, I, I know, you know pro football focus is flawed, but it's very hard to measure offensive line play, so you have to at least reference them at least. I mean, give them, they know more than just the average person who's watching the ball on every play, and he's ranked the 54th best tackle in the NFL. So, again, again you might say that they're – their ratings mean nothing, but there's still a rating out there, and, and he's 54. So, I mean, how good is that? Um, and, and like James said, they've revamped the offense. He's not going to give up sacks because Eli plays hot potato most of the time. So, I mean, there's so, so much of the Eric Flowers stuff is, again, just spin. But I think it's pretty easy to understand why they're dug in so deeply. Because, again, if you give up on a, a number nine pick in his third year, that's a major indictment of Jerry Reese. And, and obviously, he wants to do everything he can to you know, avoid that situation. No, I, I get that it's an indictment, but like if you're Jerry Reese, I mean, you've gotten away with a lot in your tenure. I mean, you managed to keep your job when the two-time Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame bound Ring of Honor head coach got shoved out the door. So, I mean, like, is, is, is admitting failure on Eric Flowers going to be the thing? I mean, is that going to be the, the, the final nail in your coffin after all the things you have survived? I mean, that's what I don't get. Like, if Jerry Reese thinks he's, you know, thinks he's safe in his job, I mean, honestly, to me, maybe he keeps on doing this because he realizes that could be the thing that gets him. I, I just think, like, you know, you made a bad pick, and it happens. and It's happened too often with the Giants. But you can kind of try to work your way back now if you move him from a different position, if you go out and get someone. And I just think they have to do that at some point because if they keep doing it the way they are doing it, it's it's going to end up costing someone their job. At this point, it might be too late, but I, I think you at least have to make an effort to try to fix the situation. Yeah, you do. And, and for the Giants to fix whatever they are right now, I, I think that moving forward as they go into the bye week, you know, you try to figure out what the Giants are and – Dan, the youth movement comment you guys were laughing at, it is funny because seven weeks ago they were a team trying to get to a Super Bowl and we were talking about their window with Eli. And now 
it feels like, you know, because everything's changed, they're trying to change the conversation. I don't see how they're in a youth movement. And if they are, uh, I know Ben was asked about this the other day, and he, he kind of said, well, not now, and it's a bigger picture thing when that day eventually comes. But if they do start talking about youth movement and start talking about the future, then we really have to have that Eli Manning conversation. And what is his future? And, and why are they, you know, what do they do with him moving forward? Because if it's a youth movement, the, uh, you know, the idea of Eli Manning playing for the next winning Giants team becomes harder and harder to imagine. Yeah, I'm going to get to Eli, but I want to start with that, that youth movement. As you can tell, some of Jerry's comments didn't sit too well with me. And, and the youth one really kind of stuck in my craw because, again, it was just – he just kind of played a shell game. He made an excuse for this, and then on a different question, he just you know changed the excuse. I mean, they didn't go after Whitworth because they wanted to stay young. Well, you still could have drafted a guy. I mean, again, there's just – it was whack-a-mole with, with excuses, and you don't have a lot of chances to ask follow-up questions in those settings. So it's, it's smart. I mean, he just kind of deflects, deflects, and then you know, Pat Halen says, one more question, and, and, and you're out of there. So uh, like James said, he kind of did a good job just kind of surviving that press conference without really burying himself. But I mean, youth movement, you would think that this is some plucky rebuilding team. That's, you know, hoping, I mean, they were in the playoffs last year. They have a 36 year old quarterback. I know that they have a young roster. Even that is an indictment on Jerry in a way, because so many of his draft picks from the you know early 2010s, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, those years aren't in the league anymore. So those are the guys that would be making up kind of the middle class of your roster on their second modest contract, but they didn't even make it that far. So you're left with kind of a top heavy roster of you know high price free agents and and. And then you're left with a bunch of undrafted free agents that are filling out those spots that ideally would probably be like a fifth and sixth year guy who's your third safety instead of an undrafted free agent, that type of deal. So even that is kind of nonsense. I mean, granted, uh, I think you can crunch the numbers, and especially now with guys like Brandon Marshall and Dwayne Harris and JT Thomas, all those guys on IR, you can crunch the numbers and say that it's a young team. But again, you have Eli Manning, you have Brandon Marshall, Jonathan Casillas, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, even guys like JPP and Janoris Jenkins, Damon Harrison, they're in their late 20s. It's a pretty veteran team, and it's a team that was definitely built to win now. So the idea that you just couldn't get young, you couldn't put a veteran on that old line because the youth was so important. Who cares how, how old the guys are? It's a results business. I mean, Bobby Hart could play for 15 more years and never be anywhere near as good as Andrew Whitworth. So the, the youth thing was just mind-blowing. <laughs> I also but, felt that Jerry kind of, in my opinion, distorted the whole idea. Because look, I, I feel pretty confident talking about this because we've, we've discussed it on the podcast for about a year now at times. I've written about this multiple times. I t- I've talked with Ben McAdoo about this. His goal is, you know, he always said, his quote he gave me one time was, when I was in Green Bay, we were the youngest team in the NFL except for the quarterback and the long snapper. And I think it's a pretty good model. And, and he's right. I think, look, the, the best way to win in today's NFL is basically what the Packers do. I mean, the Patriots, they're a special, they're a unicorn. Put them aside. <laughs> the Packers, I think they made the playoffs, what, seven, eight years in a row because they draft really well. They develop their own players. And then when they get to free agency, they let those guys go most of the time who are going to get too much money elsewhere. That They re-sign the, the important guys because they realize oh, we're just going to draft more guys and then develop them. And, but the thing is this. Ben McAdoo has never advocated a situation – a good example is Andrew Adams last year. Okay, So Darian Thompson gets hurt. Nat Burhey's hurt. The, if the, the Giants under Tom Coughlin would have – they had that veteran safety trap, they would have brought in like Dante Whitner or, or Brandon Merriweather, somebody like that. And just said, well, this guy's going to have to be our safety. But McAdoo said, no, we think we can get by with Andrew Adams. We're going to put Andrew Adams in there. We're not going to go sign a 30-something washed-up guy. And Andrew Adams played pretty well, started like 12, 13 games. Okay? That's what McAdoo was talking about with this kind of youth movement. You know, When you get to free agency and you say, okay, 
Are we going to pay LeGarrette Blunt, you know, $3 million, or are we going to go stick with Orleans Darkwa, Wayne Gallman, and Paul Perkins? I mean, look, we can sit here and debate whether or not that was the right move, but that's kind of the motivation behind the youth thing. Jerry made it sound like, and people who were just want to go to bat for Jerry are kind of put, making it sound like the whole idea was just, just get young players in here. Like, it doesn't, like, just, just get young guys. Like, that's not the whole point. It's okay to go sign a 36 year old left tackle if you're trying to win the Super Bowl. That doesn't undercut your youth movement. It's the situation where Ben was talking about is it's when you get to a point where you say, okay, are we going to go have, you know, for instance, Jonathan Casillas, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, he might be back as a special teams guy, but that's the point. You say, are we going to go pay this 31, 32-year-old guy a three-year deal to be our starting weak side linebacker, or are we going to have developed a guy who we, we draft to be our weak side linebacker? That's what the youth movement aspect that McAdoo is trying to put on is that's what it pertains to, not this idea of we can't sign any veterans because we got to get young. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. When you when you add it all together, what he's saying and what they're doing, and I agree with you, James, on, on the Packers model would be a good model, um, but they're not doing it. They're not doing what, what they're preaching over there, and it, it's 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 bearing itself out with a one and six record to go to Eli because, uh, you know, Ben mentioned it the other day, was asked about it and he tried to deflect and, and tried to, you know, say that's a bigger picture thing. If Eli ever were to come out of the lineup, if they ever wanted to see uh, something of Davis Webb later this season, they said they're not, you know, Ben said they're not having that conversation. Now, maybe at some point down the line, I just, I don't know when this conversation, Dan has to happen, but it, the Giants are, I think we have touched on this before. They're teetering on a very awkward situation. The team's awful. Eli's not playing poor football. You know, you look at his numbers in terms of what Eli is. He's got his highest completion percentage of his career right now. Um, the team around him stinks, but what are they doing? And it, what's, what are they doing moving forward? Is it worth it to them to just play him all year because he's Eli and to go three and 13 and then figure it out in the off season? Do you think this, that Davis Webb conversation might happen just because of where they're at? Yeah, well, I mean, I tackled this the other day, and just so uh, to show a little diversity, I actually agreed with Ben Mackin on something, which uh, kind of is few and far between this That's year. That's new, yeah. Yeah, but I, it's it's a it's a super layered uh, issue. You know what I mean? There's not a cut and dried answer. I fully understand that from the twenty thousand feet view, it makes sense to give Dave. You just start Davis Webb the next nine games if if you if your focus is strictly on the future and not not factoring any other dynamics. Because if he goes out in the nine games. And lights it up. You might say, "Well, hey, we got the number three pick, and we don't need to draft a quarterback." And if he and if he stinks it up, you say, "Hey, we got top three pick. We need a quarterback." This kid's definitely not the answer. That would be ideal in like Madden or something like that. But there's just so many dynamics at play, and I think you know I, I illustrated a lot of them. The first one from McAdoo's perspective, because listen, he's the one who would make that change. You know, Cherries and John Mayer can't come on the sideline and, and shove Davis Webb onto the field. Can't give him reps in practice. Ben McAdoo needs to win as many games as possible to save his job. There's, he is probably going to be safe almost no matter what. 1-15 might be the kind of exception. 2-14 and 14 might be the exception. He needs to try and get the 6-10, and 7-9, so he can stand up there on January 2nd, January 1st, whatever that you know, exit interview will be, and say, listen, we fought, we clawed, we beat the Cowboys at home. We did all That's what he needs. There's nobody can argue that Davis Webb gives them a better chance to do that than Eli Manning. I know that Eli has a bunch of critics out there. I'm sorry. There's no way a rookie quarterback coming from a spread offense who was supposed to take basically a redshirt year this year would give them a better chance to win. So the only situation that McAdoo would have any motivation to play Davis Webb would be as if ownership sat him down and said, listen, Ben, it's been a crazy year. It's not on you. You're going to be back. You're going to be safe. We need to get a look at Davis again for those draft reasons I mentioned earlier. So listen, 
bite the bullet. You go two and 14. It's not going to affect anything. You're our guy. Then maybe McAdoo is motivated to do it, but I still don't think it would really be a determining factor when it comes to, again, having maybe a top three pick and having to make that decision. How much can Davis Webb show you in a couple of starts? Or if, if some people say, let him relieve Eli in the second half of games. He's playing behind a bad offensive line with no receiving threats. I mean, I know Sterling Shepard will be back and Evan Ingram, but in general, I mean, there's, there's not a heck of a lot to work with. I mean, Eli can't do anything with this. You think an, a kid who's most likely going to be overwhelmed making his first NFL appearances is going to come in and thrive. So I think bottom line, even if he plays, they're not going to be able to get enough evidence to say definitively this guy is or is not the answer. I mean, they're going to have to make the decision on drafting a quarterback independent of whatever Davis Webb does or does not show, in my opinion. Because I just don't think there'd be enough to see. And the other thing is, Eli's going to be the quarterback next year. It doesn't matter if they get the number one pick and take a quarterback. He's not going to come in and start on day one unless they pull off some crazy trade or cut Eli, which I don't think anyone uh, expects to happen. So I, I just think the draft decision has to be made kind of independent of sort of the current roster. If you are convinced that Josh Rosen is the next Aaron Rodgers or whoever, you just have to make that pick and, and, and trade Davis Webb after a good preseason in year three, whatever it is. I just think it's, it's a separate issue. I totally get why people would want to see Webb. And again, I think in a vacuum, it makes sense. I just think with all the factors at play here, it, it's not going to happen. And I can't kill the Giants for not making it happen. I agree it's with awkward. Dan. It's awkward, James, isn't it? Everything about it. And then go on with what we have to say. I just feel the whole thing is awkward. And I'm not sure if Reese and... Uh, McAdoo are the, are the right people to make this transition. I mean, this is this is the greatest quarterback the Giants have ever had, and this is not easy. And if they go with the route Dan just said, where they do draft a quarterback, but he doesn't play next year, I mean, that's just going to be the weirdest thing. I mean, that's I know Rodgers sat behind Favre, but he was a 24th pick, and it was almost a luxury item. It's another thing to take a quarterback with a very, very high pick um, when, a, when a team's struggling. James, wh- where are you at right now with this Eli situation and what you were going to say? Yeah, it's definitely awkward because I think, look, and I I took a lot of heat from Giants fans as I kind of wrote, and I still feel this way. I think Eli needs to play better just because, look, I understand the receivers around him aren't great. But, you know, he, he's the franchise quarterback. He's paid $20 million a year. I mean, he's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. I think he needs to raise his game over these next nine games and try to make those guys around him better. But that's a side issue. I agree with Dan. It, one, McAdoo can't play Webb unless he thinks he's coming back or he's been told he's coming back. Two, we're not going to learn much from Webb playing. I mean, this team has no weapons. They're not going anywhere. Three, I feel like if you put Davis Webb in, in the game, it's kind of a point of no return. I mean, I don't really see how you can say, okay, well, we're going to start Davis Webb for the last three games, but Eli's going to be the star. I mean, it, it, you can't unring that bell. I think there's two things you need to understand. One, if the Giants get a top three pick, I don't think there's anything wrong with them keeping Eli, as Dan said, he's going to be the star next year. Webb's the backup. Your top drafted quarterback is your number three. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that approach. You know, it, actually, it's kind of beneficial because we know how important a quarterback position is in the NFL. You get two cracks at the bat. You know, if Davis Webb ends up being the guy, then okay, well, you know, yeah, it stinks that you wasted a top pick on this guy, but, you know, it's sort of like the RG3 Cousins thing, except you didn't waste a tremendous amount of draft picks trading up to get RG3. And if the, your quarterback that you drafted high proves to be the guy, you've got a good trade chip with Davis Webb. The, it could be the Ryan Nassa plan, but it actually kind of works out for you, and you end up trading him off and getting something. The second thing is, and you said this, Joe, 
it depends on who's in charge. I mean, if Ben and Jerry are gone, the new regime, they're not – I mean, what, Davis Webb's not their pick. So if they don't think Davis Webb is the future, I mean, they're, they're just going to move him. I mean, I, there's no – I think if you see Davis Webb on the field this year and it's not caused by an injury, I think it's a sign that the, the head coach and the general manager, or at least the head coach, are staying put going forward. Yeah, that's a good point because that would put the you know the onus on them. They'd make the decision, and and we'd go forward with whatever they choose with the quarterback situation. It's fascinating. Eli's fascinating moving forward. This team, um, the the fact that they're balancing whatever the future is between the present. Uh, let's end with this, guys. As, as we go into the bye week here, the Giants will come out of it with the Rams, and you know some games in November that maybe they can grab a win against the Niners on a trip out. We'll see. The Niners haven't won a game yet. There aren't many wins you think probably are left in the schedule. What's the, if you had to pick one thing from each of you that you're looking forward to seeing or watching, or just curious to see how it plays out the rest of the season after the bye, uh, what would it be? Dan, we'll start with you. We'll go to James. Just something you're kind of honing in on saying, I'm curious how this plays out. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like the season ended in that Seattle game on Sunday. It was just that Denver game gave you that little bit of hope that maybe something miraculous could happen, and then it just was totally extinguished. You see how they're going to have to play. It's like I, I reference it. It's like the four corners offense in basketball come to life on a football field where they just try not to have the offense lose the game. Hopefully the defense scores a touchdown and shuts the other team out and you win 7 nothing because – uh, that's that's a long way of saying I don't have much to really look forward to in the second half because again I guess if they were going to play Webb that would be the super interesting thing to watch but you know we don't as we just said we don't expect that to happen so and I think it's just a sort of a, a broad thing is is do they roll over and die do the veterans start kind of checking out oh you know let me get that ankle cleaned up and miss the last four weeks and kind of get a jump on my rehab or a guy going into free agency yeah oh, you know this uh, this shoulder needs surgery anyway so maybe I'll just do it in November on on the Giants dime that type of thing. Uh, I think that's the stuff that's really going to be probably most interesting to see um, because, again, there's there's just not even a lot of you know young guys you're super intrigued to see because, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson and Evan Ingram are already playing. So, I mean, yeah, okay, they're going to develop. It'll be fun to watch Ingram, I guess, a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just generally I think just the, um, the fight or the lack thereof is pr- probably going to be maybe the determining factor because, I mean, I think – John Merrick can stand for a lot of things and have a lot of patience, but I don't think he'll, you know, if they're going to be 41 to nothing at home by the Eagles, you know, in, in week 15, uh, that's the type of stuff that would be really tough to stomach. So, uh, you know, and everyone has said all along the right things about, you know, staying on the program with McAdoo and he hasn't lost the locker room. Uh, even even at 0-5, that's easier to said than done than when you're at 1-10, you know, when things really are bleak and you can't even pretend that you're playing for anything. So uh, I think that's really the only thing is just can this at least stay on the track and they steal a game just to, you know, just to show some fight, um, which they've said they're going to do. Um, Because other than that, it's it's tough. I mean, it's it's a unique situation to be seven weeks into a season and have it be, you know, folded up and put to bed. I mean, that's pretty rare, especially for a team like the Giants that came in with these expectations. So. Um, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be scrambling for things probably to talk about and write about these next two months. So from a selfish perspective, uh, this one and six start is, uh, is not the greatest thing to happen because man, it's, uh, it's really tough to, to find reasons to get excited for a game against the Redskins on Thanksgiving, uh, you know, at this point. Yeah. Game to game it is. Uh, and usually with teams like this, you look forward to the off season or big picture stuff, but you know, James, as we started this podcast with Reese in the future, the weird part, and we just mentioned it a few minutes ago, we don't know. I mean, we could guess, but we don't know who the guys are going to be that are in charge of this thing. It's easy if it's Reese and McAdoo. You could kind of say, all right, I think they'll do this, but 
I don't know if it's going to be Reese and McAdoo trying to rebuild this thing. Yeah, no, I mean, first off, before I get into my thing, uh, that Week 15 game against the Eagles, I think, has the potential to be like one of the the biggest debacle days in Giants history. You're going to have a, a Philly team who looks like they might be the best team in football. You're going to have God knows how many Eagles fans invading MetLife Stadium. They could be in a position where they clinch the East on the Giants turf. They could clinch a first round. I mean, that's going to be ugly, I think. And I think that that's going to be something to watch is when they have these those three divisional home games in December – how many opposing fans are going to be there? How, I mean, we saw Seahawks fans kind of take over MetLife at the end on Sunday. What's it going to be like when the Eagles and the Cowboys show up? And if they're in the hunt, I mean, it's going to get ugly. And I think that's something that, you know, that, that could might push ownership over the edge to make changes. My thing I'm looking for is I just want to see how Eli plays in the final nine games because I think that no matter who's in charge, that's a very big decision the Giants have to make after this year. Not so much – whether he's going to be here or not. He's going to be the quarterback, I think, in 2018. It's that, what are we doing here? Are the Giants going to regroup after this season and say, we're going to try to fix this stuff and make one, you know make one last run next year? Or are the Giants going to maybe not publicly go, all right, look, the window's closed. Uh, Eli's going to be the quarterback, but you know we need to start thinking about the future. And I, I think it's very possible they might decide, okay, we're going to do our best to be competitive in 2018, but we're really going to start building towards the launch in 2019 with, you know, Davis Webb as the quarterback or say Josh Rosen or Lamar Jackson. That's my thing. I think that you have to look at the final nine games of this season, see how Eli plays, obviously grade him on a curve, given that he doesn't have much around him and then say, what do we think Eli is capable of doing? Are we slapping the band-aids on and, and bringing the band back together for one more shot? Or are we going to start to be competitive but look toward the future? And I don't know where it's going to go. You guys don't either. It's going to be interesting, if not fun, to watch a lot of these games and a lot of the day-to-day stuff with the Giants. moving forward a bye week, the Rams after that, it doesn't get any easier as the Rams uh, have played well on the road and look like you know maybe the most improved team in the National Football League. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Hey, thanks a lot, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Talk is Cheap. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Leave us a rating. It helps the show grow. We'll keep bringing these episodes as the Giants try to figure out who they are through the rest of the 2017 season. Thanks for listening.